What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Blurred Out. Today is going to be a fun one. We got the new chapter drop. We got some SBS info. We got some Avatar The Last Airbender talk. Now, if you've been keeping up with the, the chapter releases and everything, you'll know that there's been some issues with us getting it at the same time. Normally, we get it like early Wednesday, early Thursday, but uh, due to complications, it's been pushed back a little bit, which isn't anything new. I mean, I've been following one piece for a while now so the days of release have pretty much gone through the entire cycle of the week like i remember monday releases and now we're, we're back to friday i want to say we'll see it may get bumped up it may get pushed back you know this is this is normal this is what always happens but yeah with the new chapter came the the newest sbs for volume 108 some interesting stuff in there we'll talk about and then we're going to talk about the avatar live action just my thoughts because i recently completed it we're going to see how we like it before we get into that, we'll have a word from our sponsors. You are now listening to the Blur Out Podcast, which is available on your favorite podcast websites like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Check the link in the description or search Blur Out wherever you podcast and you will find greatness. Episodes are also uploaded on my main YouTube channel at Tyrant King Kuma and on the official podcast YouTube channel at Blur Out Podcast. And of course, if you have not watched, read, or caught up to the latest Please be wary because there are spoilers Oops. ahead. Spoilers. Now to start off with the chapter, One Piece 11,009. We get a cover story of Onigashima. And now, so we're kind of back into the world of, instead of requests, we're doing like lore. Now we see Onigashima, which is submerged pretty much underneath the, the barrier of Wano. Because you can see like there's very subtle shading, but you can see in the background there's like a a ridge of rock so i'm pretty sure that's just like the the ridge that leads all the way up to wano now i think we're going to get some onigashima lore here and i'm hoping for kaido stuff but you know i'm not gonna hold my breath for that but we're getting onigashima lore because and what i imagine is we're going to do something with that poneglyph that was left on onigashima because law found one there but considering he can't read it and that it wasn't read he wasn't very interested in it however I'm feeling like a Jinbei situation where somebody's gonna come and explore Onigashima and at least take that Poneglyph. Stepping into the chapter, we pretty much get a follow-up from last chapter, which is that we have the broadcast basically announcing what's getting ready to happen. So this is a pre-recorded message and based on like the, the EKG that's set up next to the monitor, I think what a lot of people speculated is right in that this message was set to go out when the host Stella body, like the Vegapunk body, dies. Because we get the EKG, it's flatlining. In last chapter, it at least had some, some ridges to it. Now it's just flat. And later on in the chapter, the Gorosa even mentioned that he might have had a dead man switch, which basically goes off as soon as he gets killed. Now, contrary to what a lot of the hype led to for this chapter, we don't get any reveals quite yet. What we do get is the... The basic One Piece, like, arc kind of guide, which is a timer. We get a time frame in when something's going to happen. Whether it be 5 minutes, 30 minutes, 15 minutes, One Piece always gives us a timer between we have to carry out some action before this takes place. This time we get 10 minutes, because 10 minutes is the amount of time it takes for people to set up their, 
transponder snails, set up their visual transponder snails without the, any kind of interference, basically taking down the broadcast. Now, I was talking last chapter and I thought that basically what Vegapunk wanted to do with his wealth of knowledge is spread it across the world. And I was wondering if this technology that he's using to broadcast this signal will kind of capitalize that. Now, what I think is happening here is this is a very rough, rough draft of what he wanted to do. But he's taking over the Navy signals and basically broadcasting it to every Dindin Mushi that's out there. Now, it's not an encrypted message, but it doesn't seem like the Navy has the facilities to stop it immediately. So in 10 minutes, this broadcast is going to go out and they can't stop it. And it's kind of funny because in the video, they're like, OK, we have 10 minutes. We want to do. And Vegapunk's just like, oh, you know, let's let's make some stuff. Let's get some coffee. Let's let's chill out. Let's really just get ready for this message. And then we kind of get sleeping shots of the world as they're getting ready for the message. And as as we always get, you know, whenever we go around the world and just see how people are doing, we get glimpses of people we've seen before. You know, we see Rebecca and Kiros. We see the Tontadas. You know, we see Whoop Slap, big homie Whoop Slap. Everyone's basically just waiting for this message. And a lot of them are pretty keen on the fact that it's going to have something to do with Luffy. But they're not super sure on the rest because I know or if they, they assume Luffy's going to be involved. They know Vegapunk's involved because he's the one who's making the broadcast. So they know there's going to be some kind of scientific element to it. Other than that, they have no idea what's getting ready to happen. I do like the cut we get to Morgan's where he's talking about the video itself and how he, one, immediately deduces that the video has been pre-recorded based on like the time. But he's also, because of who he is, he's aware that not only was Egghead bombarded by a buster call, but that basically by this point, everyone should be dead on that island. We also get a brief glimpse of the revolutionaries. And now, honestly, I expected the revolutionaries to know more about Vegapunk. But this is Dragon we're talking about. And Dragon has been very selective with the information he tells even his subordinates. So I guess I really shouldn't be surprised. Cutting back from the world to Egghead, we still have Luffy's holding off Saturn and Kizaru. Now... They're trying to attack me. Luffy dodges both at the same time. Kizaru launches eye beams and Saturn kind of just pokes at him. He dodges both and Saturn's little leg spike is unimportant. Kizaru's eye beams though are dope. I need him to do that more often. But I do want to point out the fact that in this state, Kizaru still can't get away. Like I get Saturn not being able to move because I don't think he's a Logia. I think if anything, if he has Essence of Dope Fruit in there, it's going to be a Zoan, probably Mythical Zoan. But Kizaru not being able to turn to light and fly away, I think is still pretty impressive. Luffy ends up slamming them both together in a new move called Booming Dawn Symbol, which turns them into pancakes. Now, did it do damage? Uh, honestly, I have no idea. The weird thing about Gear 5 is that it doesn't always do visible damage. One of the things about Gear 5 is that it's so disorienting that it kind of just messes up whatever you're trying to do. It looks like here, more than anything, they're just disoriented. They don't really look hurt. So he turns them into pancakes, pretty much sends them flying away. And I saw somebody called it uh, Pizarro. <laughs> they called it Kizaru Pizarro because it looks like a pizza. And that, that's probably my favorite thing of this chapter. <laughs> just having that. 
but he ends up tossing them like pizzas, sending them flying. And Kizaru actually ends up landing on a ship, big explosion. And we get a panel of him. He's like laying down again. He's been doing this like three or four times where he just, Luffy hits him, he flies, and he ends up in a position where he's just like holding his head. And he's like, ah, oh, geez. And I can't really tell if he's actually being hurt by any of this or if he's just like not with it. If he really just doesn't want to deal with it. Because I do legitimately think some of these moves are hurting him. I don't think they are. And I think he has more durability to just be one shot by any of these moves. But I feel like it's a mixture of this is really inconvenient. And oh, that kind of hurt. Saturn, on the other hand, is immediately able to control where he's going. And he swings back around like a boomerang, pretty much. And I'm wondering if it's because of his like tentacle legs that he kind of changed the trajectory. Because when we see him coming back, you can see his legs spinning, almost like Luffy's UFO. And as Saturn's coming back to Luffy, he's launching out some attacks here and there, not really doing anything. But he's having a conversation with the other Gorosei. So they have a telepathic link to one another, and they're kind of just talking about the, the current status of things that are going on. Because at this point, they fully expected things to be taken care of. So they're kind of like, okay, what's going on here? What's this message? What's going on with Vegapunk? Why is he talking right now? And I mean, they talked earlier about the possibilities of what Vegapunk could be saying. And this is where they end up discussing that he probably had a dead man switch, but they more or less are concerned about what's going to come out of this. And the reason I think they're concerned about that is because they know they can't stop it. So like he's going to say something and the, the broadcast is coming from a place that we really can't get to. So now we're running out of options on how to keep this information a secret. They don't know what the information is, but they know they shouldn't let Vegapunk talk. So with that, they come to the conclusion that they all got to show up. So Saturn goes on his... With this sacred treasure I summon... Puts out four circles and basically gets ready to bring the rest of the Gorosei here. Now, what's weird is... When Saturn came to Egghead, no one made a circle for him. He kind of just created one on his own. I wonder if it's a location-based thing, like maybe because he was like on the coast, he can do like short like teleportation or summoning. But since they're back in Mary Joy, they have to have a circle drawn for them. But basically he, he draws these four circles and we see these big plumes of like black lightning and smoke come up. And they're really big circles. Like it's not, they're not coming here in their human form. They're coming here and they're all their transformed like ability forms. So when they get here, it's going to be a really, really clean double panel spread of the five Gorosei in their, in their maxed out forms. But yeah, the shocking thing of this chapter is that we actually didn't get any reveals despite kind of expecting it. First, I completely forgot that we, we always do a, a time frame in One Piece arcs. Like that completely slipped my mind. So it, it popped up and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. This is this is One Piece. And also with that, it kind of it, it makes the chapter feel a little bit shorter because a lot of this is reactionary. A lot of this is the world just getting ready to hear Vegapunk's message. So this is like the setup of setup chapters. <laughs> of course it is nice to see everybody. Kind of just pop our eye in and see how everyone's doing, how everyone's reacting. But yeah, it's gonna be kind of minimal until we get the actual reveal. Now we are on break next week, so this is gonna be a long cliffhanger. 
I kind of want to see what, what theories we get out of this chapter, like what people are expecting. Because the thing about this message, and I talked about that before, is that it it can't be something that Vegapunk hasn't like confirmed. It has to be the truth. So it has to be like a combination of probably what he's learned through Ohara, probably what he's learned through his own experiments, but it's all got to be factual. Now, I think Luffy's going to be involved as far as like the resurgence of Sun God Mika. We might even get the image of the previous Joy Boy who looks like Luffy pretty much. Basically making the comparison of, okay, the man who was in the past has been quote unquote reincarnated into Luffy. And that's why the Gorosei are trying to keep that picture from spreading. But now we should get a full circle of people realizing it. And Shaka actually really early in, Shaka makes a comment that I had in my own mind, which is that even with the amount of information Vegapunk can give out, are the people ready for it? Are the people going to know what to do with it once they have that info? Because personally, I don't think so. I think a lot, like a lot of the people are going to be confused. They're going to be, they might not even believe it, or at least they might brush it off concerning how warped some people can be about the truth. So we'll see how different people react. I, what I would really like to get is the reactionary panels of the world once like the secrets are revealed. And I'm sure we will. I would like to get uh, in-depth, like I want a chapter of that. Just a chapter of everyone reacting differently to the news they get. But that is a chapter. Looks like realm break, so we're going to have a little time to speculate what goes on in between. Now to talk about the SBS a little bit. You know, this is the question corner. This is where we get some some nice reveals, some some jokes here and there. I want to touch on some of this stuff because some of it's pretty interesting. The biggest thing is probably why Mihawk joined the Warlords. And what Otis says is that Mihawk is a person who holds a grudge against the Marines in the past and have had experienced great betrayal. In the sense of solitude, he's just like Crocodile who doesn't trust people and is and he's getting tired with life. Being a member of the Seven Warlords means he won't have to be chased by the Marines. That way he'll have peace. So that's why he became a member. But now the position has vanished. So the idea is to hide behind Buggy Shadow. And I see a lot of people running away with that uh, in various ways, which is hilarious. But I think this just means that Mihawk just wants to be left alone. Mans wants to chill. He don't want to be bothered by anybody. So it's less that, you know... He's hiding more that he's just trying to stay out of the limelight. He does not want any attention drawn to himself. But the fact that Oda used the word hide absolutely encouraged so much agenda piece. And honestly, I'm here for it. Bring on the agenda piece. Sometimes I feel like Oda does it on purpose. Like, let me just sprinkle a little bit of that in there. See how they take that. There are other things mentioned, like they, they did a personification of Roger's sword ace. You know, uh, Oda's been personifying a lot of the, the different weapons, kind of showing them what they would look like if they had like an anthropomorphic form. Uh, he did the hobbies of the sword members, which is also kind of cool. Like Drake liking astrophysics is interesting. I would like to see more of that in the story. I want to see how that would turn out. I also want to see Hibari's photography. I feel like she would have a really cool like set of photos that she creates. Oda mentions that on Hachinosu or Fullet Island, there are no like civilians. It's all pirates, it's all criminals. No one's there. It's just like 
living a normal life. Which makes sense because that's, I mean, that's where Rock set up camp. That's where Blackbeard set up camp. I would not be living there if any of those pirates were there. I would move immediately. We also get confirmation of Kuma's Kuma's ears. So like the, the ears in his hair, that's just bedhead. And he just doesn't do anything about it. Instead of like adjusting his bedhead, he just makes cutouts in his hat so that they stick out. Which is it's fantastic. That's that's really the lore that I, I want. If you're interested in the full rundown on the SBS, uh, they have, you know, a thread on Reddit, the One Piece Reddit. They have a thread on Twitter as well. I'm pretty sure Artur, I'm pretty sure, um, I think Pew also has it. Basically, you can find the SBS a lot of places. If you want the full rundown, if you want some of the, the imagery that goes along with it, please check out one of those one of those sites. And the last thing I want to talk about this episode is Avatar The Last Airbender, the live action. So I recently finished it. And let me tell you, it wasn't good. It was bad. Terrible. Like, there's, there's a very distinct difference in what they did good and what they did bad. But overall, it comes off as just bad. I'll start off with the good. The design of like the the creatures of the world, you look at Appa, you look at the Shirshu, you look at the Heibai, you look at any of those, it's done so well. Like I really like the way those look in the show. It's a solid blend of live action and CGI. Like, like they got stranger things, people working on this kind of stuff. Like that looks just really, really good. The casting is also decent. Like not only do they look pretty decent compared to the characters they sound like the characters Sokka legit just sounds like Sokka sometimes I don't know how they did that I don't know if they had to like practice if he had to like watch Avatar a bunch of times and kind of like get that toned down if he was just naturally talks like that Sokka sounds like Sokka um Katara and Aang not so much there's casting that's done really well and there's casting that's kind of just there I think I like Azula um Iroh took some time to grow on me. I think it's because his voice doesn't really have the same oomph that Iroh's did. It just feels a little bit too generic. It just sounds like old guy. It doesn't sound like wise old guy. But I kind of grow to like Iroh as the, as the show goes on. At first, Zuko was kind of eh. Because to me, he was like, oh, he's so overly dramatic and angsty and I was like well that's just Zuko Zuko was just dramatic and angsty for like the first half of the show so I think that fits it's just I think seeing it in real life makes it a bit more kind of cringy but it's fitting for his character Suki was one that surprised me because I think the casting for Suki was immaculate they they did their thing on that they did the thing on the, the makeup the actual actress all that's perfect however they made Suki thirsty for no reason. Like she, <laughs> and that's, that's one of the bad things we'll get into is kind of how they did the characters. But casting wise, Suki's great. I think Kyoshi's great. Uh, the rest of the avatars, eh. Like Roku's okay. Karuk's okay. I don't think we're going to see Yang Chin this season, if we do see her. But they're all right. Uh, Ozai is great. I like that casting. Boomy is, I'm 50-50 on Boomy. 
I feel like Boomy is one of those characters that just doesn't translate well into live action. Just because of how how quirky and not quirky he is. And I mean, it's kind of hard to to capture that without capturing the the kind of less appealing aspects. So I, I feel like that one was a hard sell. That one was always going to be hard. And they tried. They didn't completely fall on their face, but it's just it's just not the boomy I love. The music is also good. And I think a lot of it is just music from the show, but if anything, they added a orchestral take to it or kind of just a a slight remixing of it. Most of it, I think, is authentic to the original show. I know they did Leaves from the Vine, and that, that sounds really good. But the bad. But the bad. They massacred some of these characters. And the main ones they did it to are the trio. Aang, Katara, Sokka. They basically ripped out the, the essence of these characters. And they really didn't replace with anything. So everyone's just so bland. Like they took out Aang's fun-loving nature. And now he's just this kid who's like, I'm on a mission. I have to do this. How do I do it? But in the show, Aang is like, I don't, I don't want to do this. I want to have fun. I want to be a 12-year-old. That's like Aang's whole thing is coming to terms with being the Avatar. But in the show, he's like, all right, I'm the Avatar. I got to do it. Let's go. For Katara, they kind of took away her... They took away her motherly kind of feel. And they took away her selfish feel. Now, she's also just a blob because she's like, oh, okay, I'm I'm here. And she's playing the sane man, but it doesn't feel like it. It kind of just feels like she's talking to talk. Like the, the time she plays the sane man, you don't need a sane man because everyone else is kind of like on the right page already. She's not like, I liked the idea that Katara was selfish because that gave her character some oomph. Like, you know, she would steal the scroll. She wants spotlight when she was trying to learn how to waterbend and Aang was learning better than her. Like, she constantly talks about her mom all the time. Like, there's just, there's certain things about Katara's character that they took away and now she's like just this very one-dimensional character. And somehow she becomes a master waterbender by the end of the season despite reading one scroll and practicing like once makes no sense how insane she ramps up her water bending through the entirety of the season like in one episode she's just learning the water whip in the next episode she already knows how to take water turn it into ice and make ice discs out of it like, come on now and speaking of water bending ang really doesn't know how to water bend like he doesn't practice he doesn't i don't think he watches anyone water bend just doesn't do it I'm like, what do you, you know, you got to learn this stuff, right? And then Sokka, they, they took away the kind of hard-headed stubbornness and the antiquated beliefs that made Sokka Sokka. So now he's kind of just the, I wouldn't say the dumb guy, but he's clearly there for people to make fun of for making like less than educated decisions. And his entire thing is talking about how he's the warrior to his village. Which no one cares about. No one has ever cared about Sokka being the warrior to his village that, you know, had to stand up. Now we get it. 
he had to do something because his dad left but that wasn't they they make that such a core part of his character is that he's the one who has to protect the village and it's like you're hundreds of miles away that still can't be your character arc if you're not even there anymore and even they even kind of like have hints of other characters telling them telling Sokka that he's more than just a warrior but he still says the same thing every person he meets I'm the warrior of my village I'm the warrior of my village it's just ugh can't stand it they do that in the show as much as Katara talked about her mom in the cartoon which is too much I can't tell what they're doing with Azula right now it seems like they're I don't know I honestly don't know she doesn't seem as evil as I want her to be which is a shame I want her to be slightly more evil then you have characters like Ozai I think Ozai casting wise and acting wise I think he fits the bill I think he's doing really well despite being kind of confused on Azula I do like the way she's going in the show other characters are they, they either just don't live up to the expectations or they fall in a blah zone like they're they're making all these characters so one-dimensional for the I think some of it's for the sake of like keeping them relatable to a degree and the other one is just they're trying to they're trying to avoid certain tropes which I get but also why would you do that in a show that already took those tropes used them and kind of grew from them that's that's the problem there's no growth. The characters aren't growing as people. You know, the the characters we start off with in episode one are the same ones in episode eight. They didn't grow. They didn't change. They just basically said they did without actually showing it. And that's really the, the worst part about it is that Avatar is such a complex world with how the characters grow and mature. Because we're dealing with kids. We're dealing with super young kids who haven't explored the world they have so much to learn and this show is about taking them out of that comfort zone and putting them in spots where they have to learn and grow but live action doesn't do that live action pretty much assumes that these kids are grown enough to take on this challenge even though they're trying to hide it now i don't know if they've been greenlit for season two yet but if they ruin toff there will be several, several strongly worded emails going out. Because Toph is the best character in the show. If you ruin Toph, you ruin the entirety of Avatar. Now, obviously, the, the only problem is the, the writing. Like, the, I think the actors are doing a good job with what they're being given. Like, you can't expect all of these characters to just nail it if they're not giving something great to work with. So I would say in that regard, the the writing is what really needs to be amped up. I think the the CGI is fine. You know, it's going to look the way it looks. Some of it looks a little off. Like, I don't love how airbending looks. Uh, Waterbending is fine. Firebending is fine. Earth's still a little chunky, but, you know, it's, it is what it is. I think air is the worst one to me. But, like, of all things, if they had to fix one thing, it's the writing. And, I mean, they have a show. There's a whole show that you can like get a script from. Just go there. Just watch a couple episodes and then follow that. That's all they gotta do. If I have to rate it, I would give it like a... So here's the thing. 
if I rated it compared to the original, I would give it a four out of 10. If I rated it probably solo, I would give it a six. Either way, it's just, it, it lacks a lot. Like it, for a first season, I'm sure they can improve, but for now it, it just lacks the magic of Avatar. I'll be keeping my eyes out for that second season because I do want to see what they, I want to see where they go from here. I want to see if they can climb up or if they just kind of just fall and then get canceled. If season two doesn't nail it completely, the show's getting canceled. That's, that's just the way that works. Now on for next week, as we don't have a chapter, I'm probably going to try and watch the One Piece live action. So we can talk about that on the next episode. I'll also probably be talking about Undead Unluck in the next episode. As far as YouTube, I'm actually going to start doing a new, like a, a mini series, like some YouTube shorts. that are going to be takes on Twitter, basically like anime takes, any kind of takes on Twitter. I'm just going to do commentary on those. And my post was like quick YouTube shorts. So expect to see that in upcoming days as well. Other than that, that's it for this episode. I will catch you guys on the next one. Bye.